before the, the uh, song that the ladies just sang, Great is Thy Faithfulness, it's a great reminder. I actually just finished up reading through Lamentations, and I know that we know those verses, that His mercies are new every morning, great is Thy faithfulness, but do you realize where those verses are in relation to the rest of Lamentations? Uh, it's interesting, as you read through it, I, I went through Jeremiah, my personal study, and then Lamentation was just staring me in the face, so I was like, okay, let me go ahead and read that, and uh, a lot of scholars will say that Jeremiah wrote it, and I, I believe that he did, because as you read it, in correlation with Jeremiah, it just makes so much sense, as Jeremiah just kind of lays out his heart, and you see what Israel is going through in captivity and all the punishment and everything that they really brought upon themselves, and Jeremiah is just, the author is just kind of really struggling through everything that God's people is going through, yet in the middle of it, he says, great is thy faithfulness. Your mercy is new every morning. But I know that there are times, because I've been there, that we don't feel like God is faithful. I know there are times in our life when we feel like God is not there, that He does not understand. We know that's not the case, but that's just how we feel. And so this morning, I want us to look in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22. We're going to jump right in the middle, or right towards the beginning of Peter's message here at Pentecost. And we're going to pick up right where he, he says, ye men of Israel, in, in verse 22. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it." For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I shall not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance." As we look at God's Word, I want us to understand before this, this excerpt of Peter's sermon, the background behind it. If you were to go to the beginning of Acts chapter 2, it's the introduction to the fulfillment of prophecy that Christ would say, as I leave this earth and return to heaven, I will come back, but in the meantime, I will send a comforter, I will send my Holy Spirit to indwell you as believers until I come back. This was a great promise because throughout history, up until this time, the Spirit only came and went to select people. It wasn't a, uh, an indwelling of all, all believers of all ages. But this moment would mark history as the church would begin. Pentecost was here. The Holy Spirit was here. And so Acts chapter 2 is a, is a putting up onto the stage the Holy Spirit and what He is doing in the, in the local church. So this fulfillment of prophecy, no longer would the Spirit come and go. He would, he would indwell every believer. So after the filling of the Spirit, we see in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And what happened? And began to speak with one another, tongues, with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is actually pretty cool. All of a sudden, the apostles, the disciples, are walking around, and as the Spirit comes upon them, the Holy Spirit indwells them, they are now given what is called the gift of tongues. Now, I know there's a lot of interpretations uh, of what this is. So let's talk about it just for a brief second, and then we'll move on. The Holy Spirit gave them the ability to speak in tongues, different languages, known languages, not gibberish, uh, but languages to be able to spread forth the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ came, that he died, he was buried, and that he rose again. The only problem is, these people that they were going to proclaim this news to didn't have God's Word in every tongue. It was a little hard for this message to be proclaimed to every tribe, tongue, and nation. So the Holy Spirit, God would give them the gift of tongues to be able to speak in the different dialects and in the different native languages that they would come in contact with. Pretty powerful miracle. And it was given to them to give authority to the message that they would be proclaiming. So it would look something like this. You're walking along the sidewalk, and uh, Peter and John and the rest of the disciples are walking along, and here comes a person that speaks Spanish. 
And all of a sudden you're like, I just don't know Spanish. But then the Spirit tells you, you know Spanish. And so you talk with them and you converse. You're able to understand. You're able to share the gospel. And then you turn around and hear someone that comes that knows French and you're able to pick right up with them. It was pretty awesome what the Lord was able to do through the disciples. And so the disciples were using this gift to proclaim the gospel, to give authority to what Jesus Christ had done and rising from the dead and conquering death. As they were doing this, by the way, missionaries would love this. You skip the whole language school and you go off to whatever country you want to go to and you already know, Joe and Hallie would love this. But as you, as you go off, as the disciples are going out and spreading the gospel, some people are kind of taking note of this. And they're noticing the all-lingualness about these disciples, that they could just pick up and speak in any language. And uh, so there's some feelings that kind of come into this. So there, uh, I want you to see uh, what, these, what these people are looking in on. So they look in, uh, in verse 12, uh, chapter 2 and verse 12, it says, And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. Now, we understand the gift of tongues is not relevant today. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 12, would give us a clear picture that because the gift of tongues was given to give authority to and to proclaim the gospel, uh, we no longer need that today because what do we have in our hands? The completed work of God, the authority of God, and this book, all 66 books of the Bible. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13 would tell us, but that which is... When that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. The, Holy, the, the, the Bible is our completed work of God that we look at, that we can see face to face what God wants us to do and proclaim the gospel with everybody that we come in contact with. Now Paul would continue in verse uh, 12 and he would tell us, for we now see uh, through a glass darkly, uh, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I even uh, know even as I am also known knowing, uh, saying that the, the Word of God, understanding we don't know everything there is to know about God at this moment, but our, our job, our, our job as a believer, our discipline as a believer is to be in God's Word, to understand what God's Word is telling us, and to grow. The Bible tells us that when we see Christ face to face, when He raptures us, when we go to see Him in glory, that as we stand face to face with Him, His completed work in us is done, as we will see Him as He is. But until that point, we need to be growing in Him. So God's completed work is what we have now. So if somebody asks you, hey, do you speak in tongues? The answer to that is no. Okay, good job. Uh, so we have God's word. Speak to each other in God's word. So these people, as they're looking, they see the disciples, and there's a couple of reactions that I want you to see. Verses 12 and, and 13. The First of all, you see the, the reaction of amazement with some doubt. So people are looking on, and they're amazed. I mean, this is pretty cool. If you were to notice it, or see somebody be able to have this gift and to use it, it would be pretty amazing. You might be a little jealous. Uh, you might wonder where they learned all of this. And you're amazed, but you're in doubt. But then there's another reaction, and that's in verse 13. Others mocked, and they said, these men are full of new wine. The difference between the doubt and the unbelief, which I, which I, I put in with mocking, is that doubt looks at a situation and says, I want to believe, but I don't. I want to see proof first. We call this the Thomas syndrome, doubting Thomas. I, I, I want to believe that Christ is, is, has risen from the dead, but until I see proof, I'm not going to believe. Unbelief, on the other hand, you look at a certain situation or a certain belief and you say, I, I can see the proof, it's right in front of me, but I choose not to believe. And so there's this mixed reaction that comes from the crowd. There's amazement, there's doubt, and there's unbelief. The disciples were accused of being drunk, but Peter would begin his message that would explain to the people that their countenance, the exuberance about them, the excitement of the gospel, the speaking gifts that they had were only the result of the facts and of their faith in Jesus Christ. So he would go through this. He would start in verse 15, and he would exclaim, we're not drunk. Obviously, it's the third hour of the day. Who's drunk at this hour? And so he continues on, he says, but this which was given, spoken by the prophet Joel. So here's the first fact. He says, Joel chapter 2 and verse 28 uh, through 32, you know very well the prophecy has said that Christ would send his spirit. There would be end days. 
Christ would return. Here are the facts. He even told it to the prophet Joel. So here's some facts. Here, here's some other facts. He says, well, what about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? He would go through this, and he would talk about in verse 21 through 24, you men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, talking about Christ, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Here are the facts, and if you don't believe it, here are some proofs. So Peter would give to the people that are listening four proofs of Jesus Christ's resurrection. The proof number one was Jesus Christ himself. Verse 22 through 24, he would talk about Jesus of Nazareth, a man proved approved of, of God among you by miracles, by wonders, by signs, which God did by him in the midst of you. He lived among you, Jesus Christ, his life. Obviously, there was power in Jesus Christ. You either saw his miracles or it was personal to you because you were either healed yourself or you had a family member that was healed by Christ. You have seen his power. So the proof, proof number one of Christ's resurrection is if Christ could raise Lazarus from the dead, could he not also raise himself from the dead? But he has other proofs. If you don't believe that, then let's move on to proof number two. Proof number two is the prophecy of David himself. David, who a lot of people at this point look back at as a patriarch, as a king. They, they, they hold him to a high standard. He's, he's one of those patriarchs of their history. And so he says, okay, if you don't believe the proof number one of Jesus Christ himself, his miracles, his wonders, his signs, then what about David? Verse 25 through 31, he would talk about David. For David speaketh concerning himself. He goes through, pick up in 30, verse 30, therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Jesus to sit on his throne. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul would not be left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This is proof number two. Christ is risen from the dead, one, because Jesus Christ himself, you saw him, you saw his power, you heard his teaching. But proof number two, you guys know King David, right? Okay, King David prophesied in Psalm chapter 16 that as he looked forward to what was coming years and years after his own life, he looked at the facts of Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ would come through his lineage. He was promised that through the Davidic covenant. And David looked at that and he said, okay, those are the facts. I'm going to place my faith in those facts that Jesus Christ will come, that Jesus Christ will die on a cross, and that Jesus Christ will rise from the dead. And that is years and years before. And, and Peter would say in verse 29, you know the patriarch David, he's both dead, he's buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. But I want you to understand, prior to his death, which was before Christ's birth, he says he spoke of this very moment. That's proof number two. Proof number three is the witness of the believers. That's found in verse 33. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father, the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which ye now see and, and hear. So the disciples are now saying, listen, Christ is a proof of Christ's resurrection. David spoke of it. There's a proof. And proof number three, we're here to tell you about it. It's affected our life. He's changed us. We've got a new message. We have a new song. So if nothing else, from our life, from the change that we see in our life, I want you to know this proof, number three, is also a proof to show that Christ Jesus is real, that he rose from the dead, that he is living, and he is coming back. Then he goes to one other proof, and that is the giving of the Holy Spirit. After all, this was, this was the issue that people were seeing. What is going on? They're amazed, they're doubting, they're, they're mocking. And so Peter would tell, tell them in verse 33, listen, we received the Father, the promise of the Holy Ghost. That's proof number four that Christ is, has risen from the dead. As Christ ascends into heaven, he promised to give us his Holy Spirit. Here he is. You're seeing him firsthand. So I'm giving you the facts. Joel talked about it. David talked about it. You saw Jesus himself. You hear us this morning talking about it. And you see the Holy Spirit through our lives. Here's all the proofs. Here's all the facts. So then he moves on to then their faith. So how about you? Are you going to believe in the facts? Are you going to believe that Jesus Christ is real? Are you going to believe that Jesus Christ did rise from the dead? We've given you all the facts. Now you're at a, 
a break in the road. Believe this or disbelieve. And so Peter here would ask them in verse 21, he would tell them, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, quoting Joel. And then in verse 38, then Peter said unto them after after this message, he says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He invites them. Now that you've seen the facts, you question what we're doing. You question whether or not we're sane right now. But we're telling you through the facts of Scripture, Joel, David, Jesus Christ Himself, our lives, the gift of the Holy Spirit, these are the facts. So now that you're at a crossroad, are you going to believe or are you going to reject? We know from Scripture, because we know the end story here, 3,000 of them accept Jesus Christ, our personal Lord and Savior. Awesome day. They're added to the church. The church is growing. There's a vibrance about it. There's excitement because of what Jesus Christ has done. The facts are being spread. Faith is being claimed in Jesus. And I want you to notice where the feelings are at now. Because you had people that were amazed, they were doubting, they were mocking. So I want you to go to verse 41. Then they gladly received His Word. They were baptized. Verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Fear came upon every soul. They that believed were together, had all things in common. Uh, They sold their possessions and goods, parted them to all men. They continued daily in one accord. They ate with gladness and singleness of heart. They praised God. See the shift in the feeling that's going on here? What changed? It wasn't the circumstances of their life, because I guarantee you those people still had problems. Those people still had trials in their life. Those people still had cares, heavinesses of, of their life. But the situation changed when the facts were laid out. When their faith was placed in those facts, their feelings were along for the ride. So I want, I want to help you, that something that's helped me over this last couple months here, the Lord has showed me. I want you to see this. First of all, I made you a little chart. Uh, this, the facts, Peter lays them out. Facts, prophecy of Joel, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here are the proofs. Here's the faith. We call you to believe in the truth. Here are the facts. So put your faith, place your faith in these facts. Repent. Call on the Lord. They, were, they received the word. They were added to the church. So here are the feelings. They gladly received. They sold their possessions. They did eat their meat with gladness. They praised God. I don't want you to think that I'm going into some touchy-feely type of message here, but I do want you to understand that life around us, the world around us, goes based off feelings. But the Word of God is here for the facts so that we can place our faith in the facts so that our feelings aren't all over the map. And in the middle of Peter's message, he quotes David. And this is where I want to go this morning. This is where we'll draw our points from. He quotes David. The correlating psalm here is Psalm 16 and verses 8 through 11. You could go there. You can, you can lay them side by side. In fact, if I read uh, the last verse there on verse 28, you probably, a verse popped into your mind when I was reading, Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, Thou shalt make me full of joy with, my, with thy countenance. Sounds awful lot like, in thy presence are fullness of joy. At thy right hand uh, are joys forevermore, are pleasures forevermore. It's the same psalm. Uh, Peter is quoting it. So this morning, and uh, as we look at Peter's message, in your life, you must base your life on the facts. Jesus Christ is real. He did come to die on a cross for us. He did rise from the dead. He is coming back. We will spend eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. These are the facts. So where's our faith? What will you do? Will you place your faith and trust in God or faith in your own works to get you to heaven? When you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then your feelings are at a peace that passes all understanding. Facts, faith, feeling, in that order. The world follows their feelings. They look at their feelings as their faith and believe them to be factual. Don't believe me? Peter is helping us out here tonight. It's almost like he's, this morning, it's almost like he's saying, 
you cannot trust your feelings. You see us with this gift, you are amazed, you doubt, you mock. You can't trust what you feel. You must go to the facts. You must place your faith in those facts and your feelings will follow. It says, you men of Israel, what are you feeling right now? What you're feeling right now is not based on the facts. You do not have a faith in the Savior, so of course you look at us in amazement and in doubt. Have you noticed how easy it is to be affected by your feelings? I asked the teens, I said, how many of you feel like doing your homework tonight? (laughs) None of them raised their hands, obviously. How many of you feel like getting up Monday morning and going into work? Not many. Sometimes when we're watching sports games, last night, I don't feel like the Braves are winning. I feel like the Braves are winning. I don't feel like they're going to pull us out. Our, our feelings are all over the map. And if we follow our feelings, we're going to be on this roller coaster through life. And God tells us, through Peter's message as he quotes David, go to the facts. Place your faith in those facts. What are the facts? God is faithful. I must believe that. Even though what I'm going through right now causes me to feel otherwise, I look at the facts, I place my faith in those facts, and my feelings are along for the ride. Otherwise, we're going to be on this roller coaster. So, have you noticed this phrase? I say it, and I try to catch myself before I say it. It used to be, uh, through life, someone asks you a controversial question, and you say, well, the facts are, and you go on and you give your answer. Then it kind of morphed into, I think, kind of morphed into that, you know, the philosophy of, well, this is what I'm thinking right now. The common phrase right now is this. What do you think about this? I feel as though. Have you ever said that? (laughs) I've I've heard so many people say it. I say it. We've just changed our thinking into what is factual to now what we feel is true. The world around you will tell you truth is relative. Believe what you want to believe. What are they saying? Whatever you feel is true, that's true for you. Whatever I feel is true, that's true for me. And if we go based on feeling, we're going to be unstable through life. God's Word gives us the facts. From Genesis to Revelation, the facts never change. They're proven. Peter gives proofs for the resurrection. There are proofs all through Scripture of every fact that you come across. And so as we look at the facts, we must place our faith in those facts, and our feelings will follow suit. Today is Reformation Day. Did you know that? Martin Luther nailed 95 theses on the door of that church. And uh, I was reminded of that this morning. I did not plan this. I've been planning and prepping this message for a little while now, and I'm quoting Martin Luther. It seems uh, appropriate today. And so Martin Luther would tell us this, feelings come, feelings go. Feelings are deceiving. Isn't that the truth? What we feel one moment may not be what we feel the next. Children are, are obvious with this. I, you know, I, I hate asking this question to my children, but it always slips out. Why did you do that? It's the most terrible question you could ever ask a child, because what's the answer? I wanted to. Why'd you do that? I wanted to. Okay, well, now I got to get a deeper theological question for you. But as you go to your child, or if I go to my child and I say, why did you do that? Sometimes they'll tell me, well, I just felt like it. Well, hopefully next time you won't feel like it after we go have a talk. And so in life, we may feel like something one moment, moment, The next moment we may feel like something else. We cannot follow our feelings because they're deceiving. So I sat down and I thought through some things that we as Christians may struggle with feeling-wise. And this is what I came up with. You can add to this list. There may be times that we don't feel like going to church. There may be times that we don't feel like disciplining our children. There may be times that we feel like God is not with me in my trial. There may be times that we feel like God doesn't love us. There may may be times that we feel like God's way isn't best. There may be times that we we don't feel like getting involved and serving in a local ministry. There may be times that we don't feel like reading God's word. There may be times that we don't feel like praying. There may be times we don't feel like witnessing. There may be times that we don't feel like loving our enemies. There'll be times we don't feel like loving our spouse. There'll be days that we don't feel like being humble. There'll be days that we don't feel like God understands. There'll be days that we don't feel like we have purpose. I don't know about you, but there are times in my Christian life, if I'm honest, 
my feelings are all over the map. I don't feel like this. I don't feel like that. And if we're careful, we go through our life based on what we feel. The gospel doesn't get spread. The church doesn't grow. We don't grow as a believer. Our families don't grow because we're going through life based on what we feel. And what we see from Acts is a progressive path to feelings. We should not go through life based on our feelings, but we should go through life with feelings as we place our faith in the facts of God's Word. So here's the progression. Fact, faith, feeling. Disney says, follow your heart and all your dreams will come true. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can know it? You cannot follow your feelings. You must go to the facts of Scripture, place your faith in the promises of God, and your feelings will follow. Let's see the feelings that David had that Peter points out. I think the very first thing that we see is in verse 25, and that is the feeling of stability. Verse 25, For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Everyone likes to feel stable, right? No one likes the floor to drop out from underneath them. If you've ever been in the ocean or uh, dreamed of you know, surfing, I've tried it, doesn't work very well for me. Uh, go more to that bodyboarding type of stuff and hope you make it. Uh, but if you ever go into the ocean, those waves, you just kind of look at them, you're like, I just want to take in some of the waves. And you get in, you literally take in some of the waves. And it's, they're throwing you around, and all of a sudden, you feel like you're riding a wave, and then a wave is riding you. And then you fall on the ocean floor, and the waves keep pounding on top of you, and you're trying to get up, but you can't. And it feels like you get up, and it feels like the world is just spinning around you. It is, but you feel like it is. And uh, you just feel unstable. I remember when I was a child, we would, uh, we would play in our, uh, we had an above-ground pool. It was, it was one of those um, kind of soft-sided ones. You know, you blow up the top inner tube, and you just fill it with water, and it kind of raises up. And we'd get in there with these inner tubes, and we'd jump around, and we'd create waves through. And we'd jump around, jump around, jump around, and then we'd all stop, pick up our feet from off the, the pool floor, and just let the waves carry us around. You know, it was fun to feel like we didn't know where we are, you know, as, as children. That's awesome. As an adult, you hate it. Uh, but as we were doing that, we'd stop, and the waves would settle, and we'd count, okay, someone's missing. Look out, and there's, uh, there's one of the siblings out, you know, floundering around on the ground. You know, it was fun for us, but in life, no one likes that. No one likes to be tossed around. And I remember times in my life after that that it felt like I was being tossed around in life. No one likes that feeling. But what does God say? The facts are, Isaiah chapter 43, verses 2 through 3, tell us, when thou passeth through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. Why? Verse 3, for I am God. Those are the facts. But so often in our life, we go through something devastating and we feel like God's not there. We feel like the waves are overtaking us. But the facts are true. For I am God. David is telling us that one of the feelings that we gain from our relationship with Christ is stability. I shall not be moved. David is saying that he set the Lord before him. He saw the facts. He placed his faith in the covenant that God had made with him. And it was as if he was thinking to himself, everything is going to be okay because of Christ. And in your life, you can say the same thing. Everything is going to be okay because the facts are Jesus is real. As I place my faith in Christ, the storm doesn't cease necessarily around me, but the presence of Christ brings peace in the midst of the storm. Peter, as he's given this message, I wonder if his mind's racing and going back in time to a, a small ship on a sea when the waves were tossing this boat around. And as Peter looks out and he sees Christ, he jumps out of the boat. Why? Fact, that's Christ. Faith, I believe in him. So he jumps out and he's walking on water too. Notice that in this moment of Peter's life, 
The waves didn't cease. The storm didn't stop. It was just the presence of Christ in that storm. So Peter gets out. How do we know the storm didn't stop? He, the facts, that's Christ. There's my faith. And then all of a sudden, I look away. There are the waves crashing in around me. And Peter begins to sink. And he looks at Christ and he says, Christ, save me. Lord, save me. And Christ in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 31, and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, what? Ah, you just had the wrong feeling about it. No, he says, O ye of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Why were you going off feeling? I'm going to be, I'm going to sink, I'm going to, I'm going to die. Christ says, no, you have little faith. Place your faith in me. Peter's faith, his feelings, sorry, trumped his faith in that moment. The storms of life are not going to stop just because you know Jesus. But Jesus is able to provide for us a feeling of stability during the storm. You can sing songs like, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. You can sing songs like, When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the world is tossing me like a ship upon the sea, thou who rulest the wind and water, stand by me. Are you okay this morning? Do you feel like you're being tossed around in life? Feel like you're unstable? Go to Christ. Look at the facts. For I am God. He's there. He's with us. Place your faith in those facts. And that helps you to have joy in tribulation. How do we get to that point, James? Looking at the facts, placing our faith in those facts. No matter what we go through, we understand Christ is there with us. I love the story of the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace, and I love the fact that as Nebuchadnezzar and the guards look in, that they see not three, but four. Reminds us that God is with us during our difficult times. He's not on the outside cheering us on. He's with us. The second thing that David experienced is singing. I want you to see this in verse 26. He says, Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. Peter continues to refer to David, and he says that the next feeling that David had was that of singing. Something welled up in his heart, and it came out his mouth. As a music pastor here, I get to stand up here and lead singing. It's, it's fun. I enjoy it. Uh, I, I, get, I, I love to sing praises to the Lord, but when I stand up here and look at you, I get to see faces. <laughs> I get to see smiles, and I get to see frowns. I get to see excitedness, and I get to see heaviness. I get to see singing, and I get to see no singing. That's just what I see when I look out. And I wonder if in life we get to a point where we walk through the doors of church and we carry all of our cares with us into this building, into this room, and we just don't feel like singing. Because my heart is carried away with everything that's going on in life when it should be carried away with who God is. And David says, when I looked at Christ, when I saw him, my heart was glad. My heart rejoiced. My tongue was glad. What does David remind us about the song that we should be singing in our mouth? Psalm 40 and verse 3. He's on the run. Saul's chasing him. He loses family members. His wife is given away to some other guy. He goes to Ziglag. He joins the Philistines. His Ziglag is burned down. He meets discouragement after discouragement after discouragement. What does he say? Christ has put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Where did that song come from? Well, yes, his heart. You know, it came from his heart. But who put that song there? It was God. He hath put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God. I have no idea how good of a singer David was. You may be coming into this, in this building and you say, you know what, singing's for those that can sing. I've heard that argument before, okay? I don't know how good of a singer David was. It's very common for people to be very skilled in an instrument and yet not carry a tune singing-wise. It happens. I don't know if David could have sung, but I like how John Phillips put it. David was a good singer, 
because he was a good seer. He saw Christ. He sang Christ. It didn't matter if he could carry a tune. It didn't matter if he thought he could sing. It didn't matter what cares in life he had because we know David had all the cares in the world. And yet he says, he's put a new song in my heart, in my mouth, praise unto my God. And he says, when I see Christ, when I put my, my faith in the facts of Scripture, that what he said he is going to do, he is going to fulfill, it changed his heart. And while David's surrounding life was in limbo land, being chased by a king, David says, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. It didn't matter what David was going through. He knew the facts. Jesus will be sent from my line. He will die on a cross. He will rise again. He will conquer death. I have faith that this is going to happen. Thus, my feelings in this moment is a song to God. So as you come into God's house, carrying your burden, what does God tell us about that? Cast all your care to him. He cares for you. Cast those at his feet and just praise him for what he has done. Just to read verse 24 in Acts chapter 2 is enough to put a song in your mouth. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. The cross was not enough to keep your Savior. The nails were not enough to keep your Savior down. The spear in his side was not enough. The crown of thorns was not enough to keep your Savior down. Death itself was not enough to bring your Savior down. He conquered them all. It was not even possible for death to keep him down. He conquered death, and he did so for you. That should change the song that you have in your heart. That should change the feeling that you have when you don't feel like singing or don't feel like you can sing. It changes it when you look at the facts. When you place your faith in those facts, your feeling says, I may not be able to sing but I'm, I'm sorry for the person next to me. I'm sorry for the person in front of me, but this is between me and Jesus. This is for him. That's the heart that we ought to have, and that's the heart that David has because he was looking at the facts. So whatever problems, whatever heartaches, whatever trial, whatever heaviness you brought into this room this morning, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 tells us we can cast those to God. Why? The facts are he cares for you. I can have faith in that. And I can leave those with him. So often, we cast our cares to God and we say, God, here's my care. Thanks. And we walk away with the same care that we just brought to God and God says, I can't do anything about it because you're still holding it. What we ought to do as a believer is say, God, here's my care. Take care of it for me. I'm praising your name. We can easily take the problems of Monday through Saturday into Sunday service and who misses out on it? Us? and God, because we're not praising him. And David says, when I saw the facts and I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, I had stability. There was a song in my heart. And then number three, there was security. The what-ifs of life seem to never go away, right? There's always a what-if. What if I lose my job? What if I lose a loved one? What if I contract COVID? What if a store runs out of supplies? What if, fill in the blank, I can tell you that there is a what if that can be turned into a this will, and that is the destiny of your soul, where you will spend eternity. You don't have to what if I die. You will know for certain. When you die, you will be with Jesus Christ for the rest of your life. He says this in verse 26, moreover, 26b, moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. There was security found in Christ. No matter what security issues he had outside of his relationship with Christ, on the run, family who knows where, family dies, he had this security in Christ. He had this hope. So, those that know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior know for sure that if they die, they will be in heaven with Jesus. Do you have that type of security? I don't know the, the standing between you and God, your soul, and Jesus Christ, but if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there's some insecurity there, isn't there? Because even the world around us, even though they may not admit, every person that breathes thinks about their last breath. They always do. At some point, they do. And security that is found in Christ is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ that only He can satisfy. 
Nothing else can. Everything else will bring along with it the what ifs. A relationship with Jesus Christ is a this will. It's done. I don't have to do anything. Christ has done it. I've accepted him. Here are the facts. Christ died for me. I place my faith in those facts. I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Now my feelings change from what if I die to this is what happens when I die. See how our feelings shift when we go in the progression of facts, faith, and feeling. It's almost as if David sang these words or something similar to it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Here it is. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. What is, he, what is the author saying? It doesn't matter what I go through. It doesn't matter what I feel. The facts are my hope is in Jesus. And this hope isn't a question mark. It's a future security. It's a future truth that this will happen. I am really hoping towards it. It's not a question mark. When Christ has done, uh, what Christ has done brings a guaranteed hope is a feeling that no matter what happens to me in this life, I will be with Christ for all of eternity. No matter what is causing you to feel insecure this moment, this morning, the fact of hope and the faith in God of that hope will bring a feeling of security to any insecure moment that you go through. So I ask this question, what feeling of security do you have this morning? Lastly, David talks about his satisfaction. Verse 28, Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Psalm 16 and verse 11 is the correlating verse. When David says, I saw the facts, I placed my faith in those facts, what happened? I had a feeling of satisfaction. I had a feeling of joy, no matter what I'm going through. You know, there's a misconception that if we give our life wholly to God, that he's going to ask us to do something that we borderline hate doing. That's not the case at all. Psalm 16 and verse 11, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. God's path for you is a path of joy, a path of satisfaction. Sure, there's hardships along the way, but there's nothing else in this world that you would think about doing over what you're doing for Christ and what he's asked you to do. The facts of faith in Christ bring satisfaction. Some people are never happy. A Jewish lady's grandson was playing in, a water, in the water one day. She's standing on the beach not wanting to get her feet wet when all of a sudden a huge wave appears from nowhere and crashes directly over the spot where the boy is waiting. The water recedes and the boy is no, no longer there. He simply vanishes. She holds her hands to the sky and screams and cries, Lord, how could you? Have I not been a wonderful mother and grandmother? Have I not given to you my children? Have I not tried my very best to live a life that you would be proud of? A few moments later, another huge wave appears out of nowhere and crashes on the beach. As the water recedes, the boy is standing there smiling, splashing around as if nothing happened. A loud voice booms from the sky, Okay, okay, I've returned your grandson. Are you satisfied? To which she replied, No, he had a hat. The world around you is never satisfied. You don't believe me? Why are we on iPhone 12 and there's a 13 coming out? Because the last one wasn't good enough. Why are there sometimes 10, 11, 12 seasons of one TV show? Because we're not satisfied with season one. We want more. Why is it that Doritos has 102 different flavors of chips? Because we're not satisfied with the original nacho cheese. America is not satisfied. The world is not satisfied. John 4 and verse 14, Jesus would remind the woman at the well, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. In Christ you lack nothing. Psalm 34 and verse 10, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any 
good thing. What are the facts? When I seek first the kingdom of heaven, all these things shall be added unto me. The problem is, we seek heaven second, so we feel like we don't have what we need. But as soon as I seek first the kingdom of heaven, I realize, God, you've given me everything I need. You've provided for my every need. It's just a shift in thinking and going from following feelings to basing our faith on the facts of God's word. David is saying here that he, he never lacks joy. He never lacks satisfaction when he is in the presence of Christ. So do you feel satisfied? You may be here this morning thinking to yourself, I don't feel like David in any one of those feelings. I don't feel secure. I don't feel like singing. I don't feel stable. I don't feel satisfied. So how do you change your feelings? Feelings change when they're the last to be followed. Follow the facts. Follow in faith, and your feelings will follow. I want you to look at why David felt the way he felt, why Peter is telling the crowd that they seem different, happy for no good reason. It's found in verse 25. David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. Peter struggled with it. As soon as his, his gaze turned away from the Savior, he was looking at the, the problems around him. And I guarantee you, if you look around you, you will always find problems. But if you look up, you will always find the answer. Don't follow your feelings. The Bible gives you the facts. Place your faith in those facts, and your feelings will follow. The fact is, Jesus loves you. Your faith ought to be completely in Him. And you will feel the same feelings that David felt even in difficult times. So I remind you, Martin Luther says, feelings come and feelings go, and feelings are deceiving. So what if I don't feel like going to church? The facts are, he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, uh, pastors, teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The facts are, we need church. We need each other. What if I don't feel like disciplining my children he that spareth the rod hateth his son. What if I don't feel like God is with me in my tri trial? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. What if I don't feel like God loves me? For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor debt, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. What if I don't feel like God's way is best? As for God, His way is perfect. What if I don't feel like getting involved and serving in a local church? As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What if I don't feel like reading God's word today? This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success." What if I don't feel like praying? Pray without ceasing. What if I don't feel like witnessing? Go ye therefore. What if I don't feel like loving my enemy? Facts are, love your enemy. Do good to those that hate you. What if I don't feel like loving my spouse? Facts are, husbands, love your wives. What if I don't feel like being humble? He giveth grace to the humble. What if I don't feel like I have purpose? He who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Our feelings will take us all over the map. But the facts are, God's word is here for us to place our faith in. So no matter what we're going through, we have Christ, and that's all that we need. Martin Luther would continue. He says, feelings come and feelings go. Feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God, not else is worth believing. Though all my heart should feel condemned for want of some sweet token, there is one greater than my heart whose word cannot be broken. I'll trust in God's unchanging word till soul and body sever. For though all things shall pass away, his word shall stand forever. I don't know what feelings you brought into the room with you this morning. Feelings of hurt. Feelings of heaviness. Feelings of loneliness. Feelings of emptiness. Feelings of defeat. But I do know that the Word of God has the facts that we must place our faith in in order to bring our facts back, our feelings back to where we should be in Christ.
Are you going to God's word? Are you beholding his face before you at all times? Time spent with God is the key. The moment I take my face off of God, my eyes off of God, is the moment that I feel like fill in the blank. I don't feel like fill in the blank. Time spent with God will show you the facts. It will strengthen your faith. It will change your feelings. Three men were walking on a wall. Feeling, faith, and fact. When feeling took an awful fall and faith was taken back, so close was faith to feeling that he stumbled and he fell too. Fact remained and exclaimed, never fear, then pulled up faith and in doing so brought up feeling too. Our feelings can cause us to doubt God. Go to the facts of God's word, place your faith in those facts, and you can walk through your trials, your tribulations with joy. You can love your enemy. You can feel like going to church. You can feel like singing. The progression, though, is follow the facts, follow in faith, and your feelings will follow. I hope that's an encouragement from David's life. I want us to stand this morning. Uh, There's actually a, a song put to music that is the words of Martin Luther. I want us to sing those this morning. I don't know what feelings you're going through this morning, but I know from God's word, as Peter helped these people looking in, amazed, doubting, mocking. Peter says, no, here are the facts. Place your faith in those facts. And when they did, their feelings changed. Gladly they received the word. They praised God. David talks about it. I saw the Lord hundreds of years before he came. I saw that he would come through my line. Those were the facts. I placed my faith in those facts. So I had stability. I had a song in my heart. I had security. I had satisfaction. So this may be new to some of you. God's word shall stand. I'll start with the chorus, then we'll hit the the verse, and then we'll sing the chorus again. But as you sing through this, you may have carried something in this morning, and it's causing your feelings to really doubt what God has said in his word. I challenge you, just go to God's word, look at the facts, place your faith in the God of those facts, and he'll help change those feelings. Let's sing this song together. God's word shall stand. God's word shall stand forever. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Pastor Lauren Regeer at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.